In this episode of the Player Pool, we are through NFL Week 1, and it was a week to play like your old self. The Fish definitely took the victory this week. However, we have a lot of work to do. We will discuss everything we learned from each NFL team, a few takeaways per team, and then I will go through all the lineups I played and do a review, as you should be doing, a review of my lineups regardless of the outcome. I need to know... Why did I fail? What was on the right track so we can get better throughout the season? I see that Aaron Rodgers has just gone out for the Jets. I hope he's okay. If the Jets don't have him for the rest of the year, that makes Garrett Wilson and and the Jets overall very much less interesting throughout the year. Aaron, I hope you're okay. If you're not feeling the greatest, maybe you need to hop in the pool. Let's go. It's the Player Pool Podcast with your host, Austin Raboyne. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Player Pool, everybody. Week one is behind us. How are you? How is everybody? How's your household doing after that week? Starting on Thursday with just the weirdness of not having Travis Kelsey in the Chiefs lineup followed by a Lions win, which I did not quite predict. I predicted it'd be a close game, but uh, I saw the ending being more in the upper 20s and squeaking out a Chiefs win. But I think the Chiefs realized that you still have to have usable receivers uh, just a little. I mean, obviously the guy who's catching most of the flack from the Chiefs' loss is Kadarius Toney. for a guy who only played about 26% of his team's snaps, he caused a lot of destruction. So at this point, I think that's well earned. But overall, I think that was honestly just a preview. Nay, should I say a warning to what we were going to see for week one. And it was pretty uh, sobering, I would say. So if you're a fantasy player right now, and especially if you use the player pool process, I had a lot of guys messaging me all through the week, and I could tell there were some guys that they're putting in hours, multiple days and hours on this stuff. And I love seeing the effort. Keep that effort up, and as you keep doing this throughout the year, you'll actually be able to do a lot of this a lot quicker. However, I should have also maybe not put my foot in my mouth because this was a hard slate. I, with the show, you know, I'm doing the show now, and I'm trying to trying to get my week-to-week process and routine down, and I had mapped it out on paper, and then, of course, you know, the best laid plans <laughs> go to shit. So I was a little kind of starting fresh when I started building lineups last Friday afternoon, and then quickly, uh, you know, once I got my player pool finished, you know, Friday afternoon and I was building lineups, I quickly realized, holy freaking cow, is this a tough, tough slate to build on. And you'll have that. You will have certain slates that the path to lineup construction looks clear. Bam, you make them. Then you'll have other ones where you are just grinding and grinding. And if you were like me, spending forever on a Hertz AJ Brown lineup, only for that thing to not matter, worth a damn. I mean, it's just that's part of the DFS thing. But if you keep bringing that effort every single week, not every week's going to be the fishes, you know, week to shine like it was this week. So. Like I said, I think that Chiefs-Lions game was a preview into what we were going to see. 
the one thing about the regular season, within minutes, and I even said it after the Chiefs-Lions game when people were looking at you know how David Montgomery did and stuff, it's funny. As soon as real regular season football kicks off, it's back to reality, and all that hype juice just goes away. I mean, all it takes to get sober from the preseason hype juice is about five minutes of real regular season football. Because I think you realize then and there how actual slim the opportunities are in these games. In the preseason, they're telling you, you know, everybody's getting the ball. It's like Oprah out there. You're getting targets, and you're getting a breakout, and you're on an MVP season. And it feels like everybody's made a gold. And then about midway through the second quarter, you're probably checking your season-long fantasy team going, for the love of God, just score a point. Uh, because the opportunities there, it's a lot thinner out here than, than it, it's made to be you know seem to us. So that's why, above all else, we are chasing targets and opportunity, raw opportunity. Uh, you know, I think that's super helpful, and that's, that's why that is the number one currency in fantasy football. So, yes, the Lions, the Chiefs, they were trying to tell us that a big issue I think the NFL has, the NFL is premium, premium quality across the board and what they deliver to us. However, they do have one quality issue in their product, and that is, and at least in the last few years, the first few weeks of the season, these offenses are not ready to go. And that is largely because over the last 10 years, we have quickly shifted away from preseason games and having starters start that third preseason game and playing it into the third quarter and then coming back in that fourth game and just clearing up any errors through another quarter or two. That was the routine all through the 2000s and early 2010s. And it's just kind of gotten away recently, I feel like, in the last three, four years especially. It's probably because these players, they're just paid too much now. It's the You cannot have the window of opportunity for them to get hurt be any wider than it needs to be. I think that's the thinking here. I mean, I think they're saying that receiver with his glass ankles is making $20 million a year. That quarterback, we just signed him for $50 million a year. I don't want him to have to plant or have anyone else be near him if I can help it. I think that's kind of what the culture shift or the idea has changed. But what it creates then is just a, a maelstrom of crap to start every NFL season on the offensive side. I said to start the week, week one NFL, I, I said, hey, it's a different week than the rest of the season because it's a big wait and see for the rest of the year. I should have also added that post week one, it's unlike most other weeks in the NFL season because it's also a big do not overreact kind of stage. And we have a lot of teams that we just need to just need to relax and not overreact. As of right now, I would say we don't need to overreact on the working back from last night, the Giants, the Seahawks, or really the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals just came out ice cold. It was Joe Burrow's worst game as a pro ever. I think you pretty much just bury that game deep, forget about it, and move on. So we had a lot of things to look for heading into this week, and I'm going to go through each team and see what we found out. So starting with, I'm going to start with uh, the Panthers and Falcons game. First off, I, I do have to, and I'm not going to have a lot of positivity for myself in this episode, but I will say I called that Falcons team like the back of my hand, didn't I? I said that they wouldn't pass 
enough to even make sense for their two pass catchers in London and Pitts. And I was right. Ritter threw 18 attempts, okay? One target to London, no catches. I said it. It's a black hole on the offensive side. And if you played those guys, you're definitely not listening to the player pool, but you're also definitely earning those zeros that you get for that. And then I also, what else did I say? I said Bijan Robinson, the thing that's keeping me from fully embracing him, which by the end he did make it into one of my lineups, was the Arthur Smith's penchant for not giving a shit about your fantasy team and playing whoever the hell he wants. And that's what we saw. Bijan had 15 high-efficiency touches, and he scored well on the DFS day. But there is a crouching tiger hidden Algier over there, and you're just as likely every week to see three rushing rushing touchdowns out of Algier as you are Bijan Robinson. And that's a headache and a nightmare, and Bijan Robinson is so damn good that I'm going to list him as a stud moving forward, and he's definitely going to be there for me. But you're almost getting a discount idea of what we had of Saquon Barkley maybe three years ago where he felt really explosive and dynamic and you're it's going to be high risk that some days Bijan's going to come out there and get like 11 touches which is brutal and I haven't seen his price yet this week on FanDuel but if it's over 8k it's putting you in that position again to just really taking a big old zero in your lineup I think but yes we learned the Falcons are exactly what they thought they were and we learned that Bijan Robinson Seems to be all about that hype. I think it's uh, well-founded. And then on the Panthers' side, you know, I got to give it to Bryce Young. I actually thought he would just absolutely get smothered. And his stat line's nothing to write home about. 146 passing yards, one touchdown. But he looked capable. He, he looked like he belonged in the NFL. And it doesn't give you a lot. This isn't a big reason to circle the Panthers. And if you block them out for the rest of the season, you're probably still okay. But it might be a good little depot to find some value plays. And I know Jonathan Mingo had kind of flashes of value play heading into this week. At, I believe he was at 4500 And it didn't deliver. But if you are shopping for value, it's, I think it's worth glancing your eyeballs over the Panthers, seeing if any prices leap out of you because they're you know that low priced, under 5000 And know that the quarterback isn't a complete Desmond Ritter. He can at least maybe get the ball to his guys. So I thought, I'm not saying Bryce Young has passed that Kirk Cousins line, but it wouldn't surprise me if by, you know, midway through the year, maybe he, maybe he is approaching that. Then we had the Bengals and the Browns. Only one team showed up to this game. The Bengals, I think that, I think that Tiger's just asleep. It's got the, the Rufalin stuff steak handed to it by Stu uh, in a Vegas hotel room. That, that Tiger will wake up and it'll claw you. So keep coming back to the well on that. That's a big don't overreact. The stars are there. They'll align. And then on the Brown side, Deshaun Watson, I, not a promising look passing-wise at all. I mean, he had the rushing touchdown, and if he's of the mindset to run seven, eight times a game, he probably creeps up into your player pool depending on his price. But still, not the guy we saw filling it up with DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller you hope to see a little bit more efficiency and obviously we're grading this week one on a curve. I mean, everybody pretty much sucked. Uh, so if Deshaun Watson is fantasy relevant week one and can improve on those passing, uh, he just needs more passing stats period. So I don't know. It's starting to make you nervous. Sometimes receivers can be so good. They make you look good. I, I like to think of Johnny Menzel and Mike Evans the situation in college. I, I truly believe all those jump balls were caught by Mike Evans. No one talks about it, right? 
Uh, Deshaun Watson may have just been a young quarterback in the league throwing it up to prime DeAndre Hopkins and uh, and speedy Will Fuller. Both, uh, you know, one's not in the league now and one's a shell of himself. But that's what I hope isn't for Deshaun Watson. And then the other thing you learn about the Browns here is they don't ha- they don't know what they got in Nick Chubb. They just don't. I'm going to say the same thing about Derrick Henry in a second, but what if the if this game comes and goes and Nick Chubb doesn't have his 22 plus touches? I think Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry deserve 25 touches a game like McCaffrey. But here you are again, you're pretty much having a touchdown dependent Nick Chubb to really make any fantasy damage. 18 carries, 106 yards. 106 yards, I mean big whoop. So I kind of like Josh Jacobs last year. I kind of I can usually get away with fading Nick Chubb occasionally. I try to get him in the lineups, but the lineup build was too hard for me. So, Jaguars, Colts. Okay, I have to turn around and say I learned my lesson, and I'm making an adjustment. I am overreacting to this part, which is the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence are the real freaking deal on offense. I was telling people all Sunday that Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley are Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. So that's what we have here. I think we basically have Chargers East over here in Jacksonville. I'm definitely going to find a way to start loving this Jaguars offense. I liked everything I saw. Even ETN there, 18 carries. And at that at that price, he's usually living at 7,000 to 8,000. Boom, I'll take it. I will take it. I think the, the Bigsby uh, worry in the preseason was just that. It was just preseason hype again. Once it came down to it, ETM was the dude out there. And this was a game that the Jags had to play honest. So you saw a good look of how they're going to do things. So overall, Jaguars, they all got promoted. Uh, Most will probably be my player pool. I got lucky. Luckily, I had Ridley make my player pool. And he wasn't even a preferred for me, but his, his 7K salary just kept fitting it in. I called it, though. I said his price, you know, this week would be like 8300 which I think he's hovering around there now. So... He is probably still at a discount for now, but pretty soon he's going to be up there 85 and up, I would imagine. So this next week may be your last week to get him. On the Colts side, everybody, if you were with me, and I was tweeting it from the Player Pool pod platform too, which, by the way, definitely follow me on Twitter or X or whatever Elon's calling it this month. But follow me on Twitter. That's where you'll get the most reactions slash adjustments. I'll kind of basically... What I've done is instead of annoying my friends in group chats with fantasy football talk they don't want to hear about, now I'm just picking up the Twitter handle and, and, and putting those messages out there. So if you want to kind of be along with me to see how I'm viewing things, definitely follow me uh, at Player Pool Pod. But uh, the Colts, kind of a dangerous place. I don't think a DFS player should be living in. Disaster Dion Jackson. Just a, I mean, it's hard. It is actually kind of hard to play this bad. In fantasy, I, I actually had to take a screenshot of it. 13 rush attempts for 14 yards, six targets, which is promising, which makes me want to play him again for five catches for another 14 yards. I mean, was this guy just running the wrong directional game and nobody told him? Oh, and let's not forget negative four points coming at these stats on two lost fumbles. Incredibly bad by Deion Jackson, but I honestly don't think it can get worse. And it held his price pretty close to what it was in fact hell it might even went down a hundred bucks so maybe still 56 hundred fifty eight hundred and if their Indianapolis backfield still has these issues with injuries and availability and he's one of one back there 
you may be forced to play him again if he's a super value. But uh, overall, I, I did see that Michael Pittman's going to be relevant. Still may struggle to make my player pool. But Anthony Richardson, he showed me enough that I can see he he can, he might be able to sustain a single uh, pass catcher. Now, he did have that knee injury towards the end, and hopefully that does nothing. Uh, doesn't hamper him or anything. But, yeah, Anthony Richardson looked like he could make Michael Pittman relevant and nobody else. And I actually, Anthony Richardson was the starting quarterback in the winning Millie Maker lineup, and that's largely off of his low price that allowed people to get you know other players in their lineup. But also, Richardson got that rushing touchdown with with a uh, as a quarterback, and that just makes everything easy when your quarterback runs when he falls in the end zone. It's it's easy, it's beautiful. So seek those out where you can. But I would say. It doesn't look like Anthony Richardson possesses that Justin Fields or that big burner ability. But the team may be so bad that he just may have to run throughout this year. So probably still going to try to figure him out as the season goes. Hopefully I can figure him out before defenses do. Buccaneers at Vikings. This is a game I was targeting. I thought this had a low-key chance to really erupt, and I made up my lineups. And I'm going to go over my lineup review after this segment. I made a I made a decent amount of lineups that were trying to mini correlate a lot of players in this game, and this game was cooking. It was ten to ten going into half, and then they only scored seventeen points uh, between them the rest of the game. Usually, what you see in football is, and I I, I said this to my uh, cousin over the over the games, but most of your fantasy points really start picking up midway through the third quarter because teams start going, you know, teams start taking risks because they're down. Or, you know, other teams, they're just trying to, to, you know, really hammer their running back and run the clock out. So I do believe the bulk of your fantasy points will always be scored in the second half, you know, as, as things start quickening up. So seeing the you know, that they were already at 20 points combined at half, I was excited. But the wheels fall off because none of these offenses are polished yet. I feel like uh, the Vikings have been a team that I've known pretty well the last few years. And we got exactly what I expected from the Vikings receiving core here. Jefferson overwhelmingly leading him in targets, but Hawkinson with a stiff amount of targets himself. They didn't go for a lot of yards, so maybe he lays under the radar for another week, but he's about to be top three tight end in the league and blow some slates up by himself, it looks like. I mean, a tight end getting nine targets, as you saw as you were living in the bargain bin tight end area, you just don't see that very often. So you had Justin Jefferson, you had Hawkinson getting the nine, and then when it came down to the rest, I mean, Jordan Addison had six targets for, you know, an average catch of 15.3 yards, four catches. It was it was good usage. He even got his touchdown. But it's pretty much the same idea, I guess, there in Viking land. It's going to be a three-horse race in the receiving game. And then the horse they got on the ground, Alexander Madison. Uh, the, the musical was great, but the yardage was horrible. Only 11 carries, 34 yards to 3.1 average. It, but that should be expected with a Buccaneers defense that's still as good as they are with all the players they have that on, are there on that defense. So what this taught me is Alexander Madison, he, overwhelmingly the main guy in that backfield, but he's going to be matchup dependent. I don't think he's special like Dalvin Cook special. He's just another guy. So I, to me, at least that's my viewpoint on him. So I would just go based off matchup. He's going to, to me, he's closer to a Rashad White than he is a Dalvin Cook. Speaking of Rashad White, 
just like Deion Jackson, it's hard to play to get that many opportunities and suck as bad as you did. And I'll get to it in my lineup review. But Rashad White, public enemy number one right now in my player pool for tanking multiple lineups of mine, maybe even as I think three of them, three of six. It's not doing anything for me while he's sitting there well correlated with players that were doing well. The Buccaneers receivers, you know, we learned that, I think, at least I think we learned, either the Vikings' pass defense is that bad or Baker Mayfield actually can keep these guys relevant. I don't think the yardage is going to be there all season for these guys, but I think Mike Evans with that height and just his ability to just boss up a guy in the end zone, as long as he gets his touchdown, I think he stays relevant. It's I think when you play Mike Evans, you're really going to have to value it value his price strongly, really take a good look at it. But starting off the year when he's only 6,500 range, that was a pretty easy plug and play. And I saw a lot of player pool uh, listeners using him in their lineup. So that was good to see. This Titans-Saints game, I was really on for a lot of reasons. One, I thought these teams are pretty similar, so the game would be close. And when games are closer, when it requires both offenses to do exactly what they are designed or want to do, that's when you're going to get the most honest output from those players you are targeting. So I had really high hopes for a Derrick Henry, Chris Olave stack, and I know a lot of other people did too. And this game is just anti-everything I just said. Even though this game was close throughout, the game was 6-9 to nine for most, most of the game, I felt like. And I felt like this is the Titans type of game. It's ugly, it's low scoring. The defense is dominating. They got Derrick Henry, who's inevitably going to burst through that defense. And instead, Derrick Henry did not get his projected amount of touches, only got 17 carries, and the Titans end up losing by a point. Chris Olave getting fed like he's Devontae Adams last year. I think him and Derrick Carr are just going to be at each other all season. But this was a game that, again, was cooking well. And it should have delivered a really good cake. And instead, we just got a charred piece of shit. The players that should have been utilized way more to win the game for their teams in this game, for whatever reason, the play callers just did not push the envelope. So, Titans, you deserve that L because you did not respect your king. And actually, I'm, I stand corrected. Only 15 carries for Henry. He had a couple screen passes, which we definitely like to see that he, he did a lot of stuff with. But, uh, yeah, you got to feed the king while he's still king. So, Titans, you deserve that L. The Saints, you look exactly how we thought you were. Uh, the Chris Olave, again, really fun to see. But otherwise, pretty non-spectacular. That Rashid Shahid, I think you're going to hear that name burst twice a week the rest of the season because he's going to catch those two 20-yard passes a game, but not enough volume there for him to be relevant. This is a very, very narrow Saints team fantasy-wise. And one benefit I thought the player pool showed itself to, to users this week is it helped you avoid the Jamal Williams hype. Because I, after building my player pool and starting to struggle with lineups, I started getting on uh, the projection sites to see, you know, hey, am I missing things? Or how, how, do, how does the ownership look? And I was shocked to see that Jamal Williams was really being held out there as a, a sellable option to users. And just my analysis of that was, yes, it is a starting running back in a low price. And yes, there are no other running backs in the backfield. So he'll be the only guy. But just like Alexander Madison, Jamal Williams is a matchup dependent runner. He's not that he does not possess that special ability to, to overcome a matchup like, you know, borderline slate breakers or high end studs can. So my take was he's going up against 
probably the best rush defense in the league. And he's not special enough to overcome matchups. So what's the draw? But there I was. I mean, Rotor Grinders had him held out as a three or four expert recommended play, saying his ownership was going to be 15, 20%. I avoided it completely. And it, because of my player pool, because I already did my valuations and made my player pool. And to me, that wasn't new news or a new realization. So Jamal Williams sat in my player pool and, and I avoided a big dud. So hopefully you guys did too. If Jamal didn't make your player pool at first and you let yourself look at some things uh, outside that were trying to influence you. But yeah, I thought that was a, that was kind of a cool little snippet uh, how the player pool can insulate you from that, that fake noise, that, just that crap that these fantasy factories have to sell you just to have something to say. So, 49ers, Steelers. Okay, I'm saying not overreact for the most part, but I may be reacting a little bit to the Steelers. Hard to stomach that the Steelers at home to start the year and as young as they are, as young. I mean, the veteran teams in the league know that they can kind of get the wheels turning and catch it, turn it back on and catch up in the in the late season. These young teams they, they shouldn't know that, and they should be coming out with high energy and executing well, and instead, it looked like Chicago East over here from the Steelers. Just a dud across the board. I couldn't tell if that was Brock Purdy back there or Brett Favre, to be honest. So it makes it hard to read the 49ers offense when the other team just doesn't come up to play. I mean, Pickett got some pretty decent yards, but... To me, the Steelers are a wash. Deontay Johnson's hurt now. Maybe we're forced to George Pickens, but here I am again. I want George Pickens to be successful, but there I am again watching every target to George. He's crawling over the top of his defender. Every single catch has to be that kind of a catch with him, and I'm just I'm. It's becoming less and less impressive. I want to see you take a slant, untouched Odell Beckham style to the house. Can we see that one time? Can we see a little smoothness? Because that's what they said DK Metcalf was going to be. That's what we learned DK Metcalf wasn't. DK Metcalf can shake you out of your shoes and catch it with nobody around him. George, you got to get to that next step if you're actually going to be a guy. So, anyway, Steelers are a wash. I think the running backs in the Steelers are untouchable, un- unspectacular. Just a total offensive wash. Pretty close to getting to uh, you know my shadow zone of zero fantasy options outside of Fryer Booth. Uh, at tight end, if it, as long as his price stays realistic. But then on the 49ers, this is a bit. Here's a big lesson we're going to learn from the 49ers this week as DFS players. One, do not question again the holiness of high, high league high opportunity because you saw that with Christian McCaffrey. So you're lucky that his price is not over ten thousand yet. Get on it. You got to have exposure to that guy because nobody else in the league gets that many touches. Period. This is probably one of the best teams in the league, too. This is probably Christian McCaffrey's uh, circa Sean Alexander, Ladanian Tomlinson MVP run type of year. Get on the train. Stop overthinking it. But the other lesson, the true lesson we got to learn here is this Brendan Ayuk uh, salary, I'm sorry, statistical line and how he scored. So Brendan Ayuk, eight catches, 129, two touchdowns. And as uh, you know, a lot of analysts are going to remind you this week, he was a first round draft pick. Five to six years ago, he was. And then f- for the next five years, it was a lot of nothingness, disappearing in games, not being fantasy relevant. This stat line here is a great example of an outlier, of a fish play, of something you just need to look at and say, that was a loser play to begin with, and it worked out for you. I would 
advise you to keep losing every single week to plays like Brendan Ayuk. I would not be chasing that or thinking that's going to repeat at all. Now, this is something for me, it's going to take four weeks of seeing seven, eight targets to Ayuk for him to even make my player pool. That's how strongly I feel about it. So you got to not overreact to some of these outliers. And the beauty of the player pool too, if you've noticed yet, is because you have a mindset for the projected ownership, because you're trying to play as many players in that pool as you can, and let's be honest, nobody's brain here is so contrarian that their player pool is full of 5% or less owned players, right? I mean, these are the usual suspects that make your player pool, usually. Brandon Ayuk was like 4% owned in most of the leagues that I checked in on him on. So even if Brendan Ayuk, at a great value, does get his 20 points, that should only push... Or people, assuming they played the rest of the right stuff. I mean, if your brain's on the track where you're even playing Ayuk, what's the chances you're actually stringing together a good lineup across the board? So that's kind of the beauty of it. The the little holes you have here, these kind of these kind of players that shouldn't really do this very often, you're not going to be pushed out of the money because they're not owned high enough. So just Hear me when I say that. Don't overreact. These little one-hit wonders, especially when they got years and years of showing you that they ain't it, you better see it over a lot of weeks before you start plugging them in. So the only other thing I really had to think about watching the 49ers is is Brock Purdy in that Kirk Cousins zone or even that Geno Smith level where I would try to play him and stack him with some people. So maybe I'll play around with that uh, this week. Maybe I do see something like a Purdy, you know, McCaffrey. Ugh, but then who else would you go to? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, but 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 maybe maybe Purdy's getting close. He's getting pretty close. Sorry, right. I had to make at least one pun. That tired. Cardinals and Commanders. I called them by their name. So, the Cardinals. What did we learn? Nothing. Leave them alone. They're junk. That was their first week best effort. They got 16 points in the board. What did we learn about the Commanders? Again, the preseason hype juice is pretty thick. You would have thought the new owner would have uh, put installed a brand new team. But I think what we really learned here is it's going to take a little while for that Snyder stink to wear off this team because they looked exactly what the Washington franchises look like my entire life playing. So Sam Howell looks like he's got that moxie, but I didn't see anything from him that makes you super confident. I think this is an entire team unfortunate that Brian Robinson isn't the featured back here. If Brian Robinson could just be a Damian Pierce and be getting the overwhelming amount of opportunities on his team, we might have one fantasy-relevant player here. But this is basically a spare parts store at this point. You may look here for bargain bin, bargain bin value that you play one time in a lineup. But otherwise, both these teams, just they're not useful for DFS so far. Texans, Ravens. Texans... Came out and played good defense. And even now, looking at the scoreboard on this one, I mean, they lost 9-25 to or 25-9 Ravens, I guess I should say it. But it felt like the Texans' defense was giving the Ravens hell throughout the whole, whole game. So my plan for the Texans' defense is give them two more weeks, and if they're still this stifling, you know, they have D'Amico Ryan's, you know, stud. Is he in the Hall of Fame? Linebacker? You know, as their head coach, I mean, if the Texans are going to be stifling on defense, maybe that's something that you kind of add away for a, def- a defense pick late in the year. Other than that, I didn't see anything very useful out of the Texans. Tough matchup, and my boy Damian Pierce, who ended up not making a lineup for me 
while he was covering my player pool. And I think even when I made a quick one at the beginning for the show, I gave him a preferred highlight because I have respect for him as a football player. But Damian Pierce, only 11 carries. Of course, they're down most of the game. Pedestrian, 38 yards. And did not look like he was much of a thought in the passing game either. Only uh, two catches, four targets. You know, it's just kind of there. So, unfortunately, the Texans on offense may just not be a place you go all year. Unless maybe they're facing a smash, you know, run defense that they can just feed Pierce through. On the other side, in Baltimore, I think a lot of people are trying to figure this out. And the J.K. Dobbins injury is going to bring a lot more attention to this team. So we need to work through the quarterback on this team, the running backs, and the receiving situation. And I'll start with the MVP just signed a giant extension quarterback, Lamar Jackson. What are we doing, Lamar? You are a running quarterback, yet here we have just six carries for still 38 yards. And if that's Justin Herbert, hell yeah, I love that. But you're Lamar Jackson. So I need to see the 9-11 to rush attempts a game again. And I, we just aren't seeing it. It looks, it doesn't look good when Lamar drops back. He had good completion rates. He had 17 of 22 on the completion attempts. However, he's averaging just 7.7 yards a completion. That is, that is Zach Wilson level bad. That is Joe Flacco today bad. So, very concerning about Lamar Jackson just overall. It's And I'm only saying all this out of respect for him as a player because, I mean, quite frankly, if he was here right now, I would say, you know, you are a stud. You are a knight, sir. You are you are a knight in this kingdom. Act like it. And right now he's just looking like an athletic quarterback that doesn't really pump the ball downfield. Now, maybe that's because the Texans defense is stiffer than people realize right now. But, I mean, as a, you know, I played him in my lineup. Lamar tanked your lineup if you played him. It's tough because that rushing ability is going to force you to play him again next week, but I can see the I can see the patience wearing off pretty fast for Lamar Jackson this season if this continues. Kind of just disappointing. So didn't really learn anything other than he's not get, he's still not as explosive as he was two years ago. Okay, this running back situation. I know a lot of times I'm saying don't involve yourself, but. Do not involve yourself in this running back situation. J.K. Dobbins is gone, and it's sad to see. Terrible. The guy came back from a really bad knee injury, a knee injury that occurred in a game it didn't, he didn't need to be in. Just to come back, he played on one and a half legs last year admirably, and now he comes back this year full speed, Achilles tear. Terrible. And now we're left with Gus Edwards, who's been on the Ravens for 43 years, and Justice Hill, who has probably been on the Ravens practice squad for 43 years. And I'm going to tell you to avoid both because this is essentially a poor, poor, poor man's version of the Atlanta Falcons backfield. And you do not know if Gus or Justice is going to get the touches at all. Give it at least a solid wait and see for the next few weeks. But this could just be a very inefficient, low-touch run game. If anything, maybe this is the void, this void of opportunity left by J.K. Dobbins. Maybe this can float into Lamar Jackson. We'll see. But Justice Hill and Gus Edwards, not something to get super excited about right away. But I do understand that the prices come out. And one of these guys is 5,500 range. I get you plugging him, him them in to make your lineup make sense.
but proceed with caution and definitely do not be excited over the opened opportunity there. Then on the receiver side, I think we kind of know what Odell Beckham is in this point in his career. He is the streaking receiver who's going to catch that key first down catch and maybe a few other passes throughout a game, but he's not going to be a guy that can just eat up targets and catches all game. Just can't take that punishment anymore. So Zay Flowers, I would say that's the only preseason hype that actually showed itself to be absolutely true. Nine targets. Nobody else on, on the receiving core had more than three. The other th- Those three went to Rashad Bateman for a measly 35 yards. This is easily, Zay Flowers, easily the number one receiver in Baltimore unless something else pops up. But I think you can re- rely on Zay Flowers. And if his price still stays in that six, the 6,500 range, I don't think you're killing yourself playing Lamar and Zay and, and hoping for a good outcome. Oh, and I'll mention this in my lineup preview, but if you pivoted to Isaiah Likely news when it broke, as you should have, that was the right play. Did you pay for that? Maybe this guy didn't show up for preseason at all, like the Bengals. Maybe maybe Isaiah Likely was hanging out with all the Bengals players on vacation and just showed up for work day one on this this, uh, week one slate because, good God, just one one catch on one – Target, yikes! Absolutely, absolutely killed me. So, the Ravens have a lot to be figured out. I think a lot of DFS players are going to get drawn to it like flies and get burned. I think you're safer just to see how it all plays out. Packers at Bears. Holy cow! What did we learn? We learned that the Bears are who we thought they were. R.I.P. Dennis Green. But for real, I I was shocked. I really thought this was going to be. Playoff level atmosphere. This was the changing of the guard. That the the king was weakened and was and the people were coming in for the kill. They were dethroning the Packers. Finally, you know the Packers coming off the Lions defeat to end the year last year, coming back just to get just to get smothered by the Bears at Soldier Field. Uh, no, the Bears are the Bears, and they almost looked as cursed as the New York Jets do right now. I'm I'm watching the Monday Night game live right now and just saw Aaron Rodgers left with a what looks to be a calf injury uh so the former owner of the bears is not having a good night but the bears are not having a good decade i mean good lord justin fields could not have looked worse and i talked a lot about him in the preseason does he have the arm i said i just want to see it i still played him in a lineup because of his rushing ability but there was no arm to be spoken of so justin fields was pretty inefficient but again this could be a situation of are the bears that bad or the packers that good is Justin Fields really that bad? Is is DJ Moore going to make that small of an impact? Or is the Packers defense elite this year? Over the next few weeks, we'll be able to tell. And these offenses have a lot of work to do. A lot of these offenses are going to pick up a lot. So Justin Fields, I'm not overall too concerned about him on a DFS level. On a real-life football level, I would be very sick to my stomach as a Bears fan. On the Packers side of the ball... It looked like nothing had changed. In fact, after last year's Aaron Rodgers season, it was almost refreshing to see a little bit more efficient passing out of the quarterback position uh, for the Packers. So I thought, you know, Jordan Love, he actually didn't have a very high completion percentage, but that was because oftentimes as the play broke down, he took the veteran way out and just got rid of the ball. He did not put the ball in many risky situations all game. And even one thing I thought was super promising 
I believe it was his second touchdown pass that went over the middle to the middle of the end zone. He glided through that pocket in slow motion. The pocket was collapsing. He stepped up, bought more time, and delivered a dime right across the middle of the field. That is what three years of sitting behind Aaron Rodgers and sitting in the NFL does for you, I think. That was a veteran Pro Bowl level type of quarterback play. So I'm not putting my arms around Jordan Love and tapping him as as an upper upper tier quarterback by any means, but it is definitely in the realm of possibility that Jordan Love cracks top eight quarterbacks, top ten if he hasn't already after week one. So what that does for DFS is it makes all his pass catchers a lot more deadly, a lot more useful. It sucks that we're dealing with this hamstring epidemic uh, and Christian Watson couldn't be in this game because to see how Christian Watson and Love play together would be good. But I think at this point, Dobbs, Romeo Dobbs, is definitely a value play. The value play I targeted was Jaden Reed, who wasn't really involved, but if his price is still bargain bin, you know that the quarterback is capable. I would definitely say at this point, Jordan Love has shown. For now, he's living at the Kirk Cousins line. All the Packer players are usable. Next up, and I'll try to pick up the pace a little bit through these games. We had Raiders at Broncos. I think quickly we're just learning that on the Broncos side, there's not going to be a lot you need to really think about. I saw a lot of guys trying to make at least Cortland Sutton make sense, but it didn't. This team's going to take time to be electric on offense, so hard to say there's anything useful here. That Greg Dulcich time where he was going to be a good tight end, usable tight end in DFS, that was very short-lived. I mean, Adam Trotman, who's not a pass catcher by any means, doubled him up in targets, catches, etc. And I know Dulcich left the game injured, but there just doesn't seem to be a a place for him to shine on this team. Other than that, Samaje Pirine ruining Javante Williams as a useful DFS player. And I'd be shocked if this continues that if Javante would ever be honestly in my player pool. So not a lot to use on the... Denver Broncos. Funny to note, though, after Sean Payton said that Nathaniel Hackett was essentially the worst coach in NFL history on Sean Payton's debut as the Broncos coach, he loses on the exact same score that Hackett lost his debut. So, kind of funny. On the Vegas side, though, pros are pros, and Jimmy Garoppolo is a pro. And he kept Devontae Adams relevant. I think Devontae Adams had a very tough matchup and Patrick Sertan and then you know week one playing with his quarterback so the chemistry isn't exactly electric but despite all those negative factors Devontae Adams still gets his nine targets which was not team high but I have a feeling that's going to shift Jacoby Myers actually ended up getting the team high targets with 10 uh, which he turned into nine catches but we know how that's going to correct as the season goes so I would not overreact to Devontae's overall stat line quite yet in fact i'm very happy just to see that jimmy g comes up in there and it's like Derek Carr who eagles patriots one of the most boring games on the slate i thought it barely made red zone hurts brown uh, the whole team nobody actually really delivered value or did well that's a combination of a rain game and away game week one the team's not ready bill belichick defense nothing to overreact here another place that i was absolutely on target right though is you should not have been anywhere near this Eagles running back group at all I think if even one of those four running backs gets hurt and isn't playing you still avoid them like the plague it's just a loser completely Kenny Gamewell who's been there RB3 for two or three years now leads the team and carries get out of here get out of that backfield on the Patriots side I don't again see 
anything usable on the DFS side. And this was a great statistical game for Mac Jones. 316 passing yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Fine. I think this is a good, uh, a solid football team. But just DFS-wise, it doesn't really make any sense. Maybe Hunter Henry if he's at a bargain bin price. But nothing's exciting for me. Looking at Ramondre Stevenson and the Zeke situation, it's as bad as we thought. Zeke had seven carries. Ramondre, 12. Disgusting. Just stay away from this team completely. Now we have the Dolphins at the Chargers. This was the game of the week. And if you had a winning lineup or if you had a big lineup that cash, you definitely had pieces out of here. Obviously, you had Tyreek Hill. There's your first lesson in slate breakers and how you just always need to cover them. Throughout the week, I was seeing builds and people were getting certain players but not others. And I kept saying, where's your slate breakers? Why not plug Tyreek in there? This is why. Because if you didn't have Tyreek in your lineup, you weren't sniffing top five in leagues. You were probably you weren't sniffing cash at all, quite frankly. So you gotta ride up the elevator with these slate breakers. So that's it. That's an easy thing to go over. So what do we learn from the Dolphins? That it's pretty much going to be the same as last year: inefficient running back play, followed by either Tua filling it up to just two receivers or not. It's the same thing as last year. On the Chargers side, there is a lot to look at. Justin Herbert, I think, for the first game with a new offensive coordinator, new offense, did well. Out of all the big-time quarterbacks that got their extensions, he definitely played the best out of you know Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, etc. Now, on the rushing side, Austin Eckler, Joshua Kelly, we got a situation. So if you remember back earlier on the pod when I was talking about Kellen Moore and my concern for Eckler's opportunities in this offense – it's, we're starting to see some of that now. So the carries were even here, 16 and 16 between Eckler and Kelly. The funny thing about Joshua Kelly is he has been there for years, years. And even in spots where Eckler didn't play and Kelly was the starter, it was not spectacular at all. I mean, Adam or Alexander Madison light-esque. I mean, it just was not great. But in this offense, when Kelly was running the ball, I mean, it felt like it was punishing runs. He averaged 5.7 yards a carry. Uh, now, the question is, is this what it's going to be? Because I've been seeing today on Twitter people mentioning that uh, I think the Chargers head coach came out and said that Eckler picked up like an ankle or a leg injury in this game at some point. So they were just trying to monitor that. So hopefully that's what that was. But in a tight game like this, with already a lot of resources poured into the game, a lot of scoring, a lot of things going on, if it was just a minor injury by Eckler, I doubt it. They would have had him kept going kept going and playing in the game. So it's probably more than minor there unless it's just a game plan change. Uh, it may just be a new offense. This may be what we see going forward. So I would be staring bullets through this Eckler situation because his price isn't going to go down for a while, and he still was one of the highest scorers on the slate. So this is a bad slate breaker situation, and I probably won't avoid it, but I may get burned by it. On the receiving side, we had a very Keenan Allen type game mixed with, honestly, it's the same thing we've always seen. It's always Keenan Allen with a dash of Mike Williams, a splash of Austin Eckler, screen passes, and then all the rest of the Kingsmen. I mean, Parham, Everett, Quentin Johnson, just sprinkled with just enough targets to take him away from the players that you were going to play. Donald Parham's uh, touchdown catch especially hurt me in my lineups when I was on the cusp of, of cashing big, so... That is pretty much the same, it looks to me, at least, that the charging passing distribution is the same as last year. 
Rams at Seahawks. This was a game that I was completely wrong on. I did play a Geno Smith and Metcalf base with, I believe I added Higby in there as well, and it just did not materialize. I actually did have Puka Nakua on one of my lineups that also didn't cash, as you can tell. Nothing cashed for me this week. But, uh, yeah, this was a weird game. It's going to take a minute for this to marinate in. Uh, Zach Charbonnet barely got in on the rushing side for Seattle, so that's to me, is reassuring. And Kenneth Walker himself honestly played well. The game just got away from the Seahawks, and they couldn't stick to a balanced approach like they like to do. So, yeah, the big disappointment here truly was Geno Smith and uh, DK Metcalf just not being able to exert their will on this on this Rams defense. But you know what I saw in this game is that there may be retirement talk floating around him, but Aaron Donald just he exerted his will on this game. He just blew up the Seahawks offense almost single-handedly. So there, you know, players can still affect games even in in an individual capacity. And Aaron Donald definitely did that here. On the Rams side, it's gonna be a big junk sandwich all season, obviously. I mean, Kyron Williams, 15 carries. Cam Akers, 22 carries. You know, you're, you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, so he's going to get a 60% completion, but it's going to be tough. And now to see that Higby only got three three catches on three targets, I would say the passing game is pretty much impossible at this point to predict. Now, if next game Puka Nakua comes out and those 15 targets weren't a fluke and he's back and he's getting nine again, then obviously he slides in there for you. And if you want to go back to the well on the value side this week, I totally understand, but yeah, not a lot. Even though the, the Rams dropped 30 points, I still know nothing about their offense. That's how I feel. And just last, you know, we did have the Cowboys and the Giants. They they decided to meet last night, but it didn't seem like both sides could agree to play. So I'm not going to overreact either which way towards the Cowboys offense or the Giants offense right now. It's hard to really know how these offensive players would have played had the game been in hand at all. But if you wanted to look at it, you could say that Daniel Jones and Dak Prescott basically played the same game. I mean, Dak's stats aren't impressive either. Very inefficient. Dak's going to be lucky here. He's going to be able to have his bad game under cover of a 40 to nothing blowout. So other than that, I guess it's of note. Tony Pollard, he, he still made a big noise for you if he was in fantasy for you. I mean, he had overwhelmingly three times more carries, two and a half times more carries than the next guy. Got his two touchdowns. So I think Tony Pollard is exactly what people think he is this year. And then, you know, Saquon honestly looking pretty inefficient as a runner. So that's a little concerning, but nothing worth switching on yet. Ooh, the only thing I didn't like out of this is that as the Giants are in junk time and they definitely need to throw every down, you would have liked to have seen seven, eight, nine targets at Waller, just judging off how they were talking about him this offseason, but really just a gentleman's five targets for three catches. So. Nothing crazy there. Same thing over there on the Dallas side, though. You had Jake Ferguson getting seven targets, of which he could only make two catches on, but the the rest of the Cowboys receivers are pretty uniform. You just got C.D. Lamb, who's better than everybody, and can take his catches for, for more yards. But not like they were trying to really funnel him either. Overall, this game can pretty much just be packaged up, thrown in the trash. That's everything we learned on week one. More than anything, we just learned that these guys – on the offensive side, struggled to show up for work. But now what I'd like to do is I'm going to go into the next segment, and this is a right-after-the-slate reaction to how my lineups did on this NFL Week 1 main slate. 
It's so important after Slate to look back and realize why you won or why you lost and what the winning route was in the week. So, fresh out of the Slate. The Slate just ended. I am looking at the... Uh, well, first off, I had nearly a complete loss today. And if you applied a player pool build type at all today, you probably did not do well today either, I would guess. Now, if you just chained your choices together and just tried to select nine slots, you probably had a higher likelihood of success today than if you had applied the player pool method. That's how this is going to go throughout the season. Uh, you have weeks like this where the offense is just not clicking and a lot of field goals over touchdowns that by midseason are going to be touchdowns. So I thought there's a lot of sloppiness today, just a lot of receivers kind of out of alignment, not knowing where they're going in the play, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of balls hitting hands that aren't caught throughout week one of the NFL season. So uh, but what I want to do right now is just generally say what I saw the the lineup build type for uh, first place in the in the leagues kind of look like because that's what we're kind of looking at. That's what that's telling us. Hey, that this is what would have won you this week. And looking at the leagues, I mean, the top score across the board is anywhere from like 148 to 160 winning these leagues. So that's pretty. That's a pretty low top score overall. 160 is kind of like the the goal to hit always. Um, not always, because you're not going to hit it very often, but you're trying to build a lineup that hits 160. Um, so for only 160 or less to score these leagues, it just tells you how low statistically scoring was uh, this week. So don't overreact, but looking at the winning scores here, it looks like a, kind of a if – you, if you were able to have Bijan Robinson, who, by the way, high-end stud now to me. I've seen enough. He's going to have some vulture issues with Algier, but – Bijan, for sure, stud, let him in the room. But, yeah, the winning combination had Bijan with that that pretty flexible salary in it. And then you basically just needed either, you know, Tua. You absolutely had to have Tyreek Hill. He broke the slate today. There's an example of that. And then the things I'm seeing most are kind of a Tyreek Hill and either mixed with a bunch of Colts. Uh, Anthony Richardson, at quarterback, cheap, got to 21 points. And then having some Aaron Jones uh, in places like that. So, it was there were there weren't a lot of top end lineups that scored high that I would look at and say they were correlated well. Now I did see a couple top scoring lineups that had good uh, Anthony Richardson and Pittman stacks, and then running it back, you know, with some Jag, Jags players. My big miss in my player pool this week, without even look, I'm going to go through my lineups here in a second, but my biggest miss was just refusing to give. Trevor Lawrence, the respect he deserves. I'm all in now. Just even his bad plays look good, and that reminds me of some of our great quarterbacks we've had in the last couple decades. So I, I've seen enough from Trevor Lawrence, and I think he's going to uh, keep everyone on that team well fed. I, I, I see a route for next week of how I'm going to approach the Jaguars, and, and we'll get to that in due time. But, uh, yeah, so first off, let's just go through why my lineups and why I lost. All right, I'm going to go for my worst line. I did have one lineup that cashed in the the Millie and in another tournament that, you know, I think made me back a few bucks. But overall, it was, I would say, a 95% loss on, on the week for me. Uh, so I'll go from my best lineup to my absolute worst lineups. So the first lineup I had was a Chargers stack. I think I talked about this enough in the podcast, so this stack wasn't a big secret. But I went, uh, the base was Herbert, Eckler, Allen running it back with Mostert and Hill. That was my base. My, my low-end tight end, I made a last-second switch, which was fatal, but I would still say it was a good switch. But 
Uh, my tight end here is likely. Boo, 0.9 points on the day. Brutal. Uh, defense was uh, Broncos. And then I had Rashad White, who absolutely murdered me today. He was in my flex. And then uh, Jaden Reed as just my big kind of value gouge. So, uh, again, uh, you know, a, a five-person charger stack and then some mixes of value and, you know, smash tight end plays. And, and Rashad White, which, you know, I was kind of hoping he could make value. And he definitely didn't. Uh, but this lineup actually was close to saving my day. If at the end of the game, the, the theme of today really was my process was right up against the door to the cash lines across the board, and they just needed that pop play. I, I know, I already know, like I had a Geno line with DK Metcalf, and I just needed one more little Geno to Metcalf connection, and with a touchdown, that would have put me over the top. So all day, I was just that 30-yard touchdown pass to that guy or this guy, or, you know, hey, can Eckler get the screen pass for 20-yard dash in the end zone? It was, we were one play away the entire afternoon. I think for four hours, I was just like, just give it to me. Like, we're creeping up there. We're doing all the, the blue-collar, you know, lunch pail work where we're getting our five yards, you know, reception for a 13-yard first down. My guys were doing that because they're, you know, the player pool targets only players that are central to their team's offensive system. Man, I just, I kept knocking, man, but I could not get through that door all day. Just not, not that one little play to put me up top just could not happen. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so the Chargers stack uh, was so, so close. That final drive, Herbert, I mean, they had time to do their two-minute drill and get in there. And, I mean, he, he dropped back twice. And as someone's coming in unblocked to smoke him, he's also slipping and sliding all over the place. So that was super disheartening uh, when I thought, honestly, I thought I was going to have the very end of Slate Hammer coming down to really jump back into the money. So... Uh, but overall, I mean, the Chargers stack didn't necessarily let me down. I mean, Raheem Mostert hit value. Uh, Eckler nailed his value. Uh, Herbert hit that 20. Uh, Tyreek Hill, of course, broke the slate. Don't, me don't mess with slate breakers. They need to, every single one needs to be in your lineup. Uh, and, you know, uh, Keenan Allen gave me a Keenan Allen game, six catches, 76 yards. Again, just that little touchdown between him and Herbert would have been, been game over for me. I would have been in there. Um, but then, you know, honestly, though, this lineup truly dies. I mean, the stack did its job. It still got me a 122, almost 123 score. It was all the little, when you're filling the value plays and correlations, that just murdered me. I mean, Isaiah Likely murdered me. A zero, basically, didn't score a full point. That pretty much will end your lineup right there. Jaden Reed, you know, he was 5K. He only got me 5.6, so that's a bad value play by me. Uh, maybe I should have rolled the dice somewhere else. Uh, well, well. We know where to roll the dice. We'll we'll get to what this Puko Puka guy does on the on the Rams. Uh, what what he did today in a little bit, but yeah, this lineup failed because the, the while the stack served me well, trying to put other little pieces together to fill up that lineup just fell out from under me. Uh, next lineup I had, I had a hundred. This one scored one hundred and five points. It had for a minute, it was on track, and then it just completely fell apart. Uh, where a bunch of players just disappeared in the second half. So. Justin Fields, honestly, that was one of the worst football games I've seen the Bears play in a long time, and I've watched the Bears play for a long time. I, I truly don't. It's somebody needs to do a study on how many soccer fans the Chicago Bears have created because I can just not imagine being a fan of their franchise for this long and having this much, this many punches to the face. I mean, this was supposed to be kind of two teams meeting at the top of the mountain 
you know, it was supposed to be a good struggle. And it honestly, it felt like Aaron Rodgers was back there, you, you know, doing his thing still. It felt like same old, same old. And the Justin Fields testament, though, in, in the face of all of that, it's I still got to point out the guy still got to 15 points on a dud, a dud of a game. Um, his stats are look somewhat decent, but watching this live, you know, he padded a lot of that in garbage time. I mean, 24 completions, eight were done in garbage time, and the game was completely out of reach. So, anyway, uh, this lineup, again, was kind of stacking well. And then, you know, DJ Moore couldn't get off the ground. Luke Musgrave couldn't get on the ground. Mixon failed me today. So, uh, but, yeah, this this lineup was Fields, Rashad White, ugh, Aaron Jones nailed it for me. Justin Jefferson, remember when I said slate breakers, even if they don't nail that two-and-a-half times value you're after, they still do work and get the job done? I mean, this that's an example of this. Justin Jefferson, uh, where he doesn't break the slate, still gave you 19-and-a-half points. So that's a really high floor raise. I'm happy about that. Uh, and then I ran the correlation in this in this game uh, where I didn't trust the quarterbacks in the Tampa Bay uh, Vikings game. So I just still got my correlate, correlated game stack in there, though, with Justin Jefferson, Evans, and Rashad White. And honestly, if Rashad White just falls into the end zone or does not rush for 30 yards less than he was projected, I mean, he hits value, and then that little stack there is perfect. And then I'm only bitching about, truly, then I'm only bitching about Justin Fields and DJ Moore not shacking up more like they should have. So this lineup was pretty close to being where it should have been. It just fell two steps too short. Uh, third lineup here, I uh, the base here, I, this was a naked uh, lineup that started with Lamar Jackson. And then I wanted to get the Derrick Henry, Chris Olave correlation in there. And quite frankly, that underperformed a bit. And I don't know why. I was watching this game pretty close. Uh, and I just watched Tennessee. They're playing a Tennessee Titans game where it's six to nine most of the time, and and they just didn't get Derrick Henry the touches. They didn't. This is a this is a guy that that should have twenty five touches, especially in close football games. And here he is with fifteen carries and two receptions. I mean that's seventeen touches, Mike Vrabel. That's just not that's not your team, and that's not going to get it done. So I don't feel bad about playing Henry at all. Uh, he just got underutilized stupidly. Uh, and Chris Olave, yeah, I mean, he hit value. He was 7,300. He scored 15.2. And I think the guy throwing the ball is going to just chuck and pray at him all season. So don't feel bad about this. Uh, what really kind of canned me in this lineup, uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Let me finish up. So, yeah, the mini game, like, correlations continued in this lineup outside of Henry and Olave. I also ran back DK Metcalf. Uh, this Nakua, Puka Nakua for the Rams. And uh, I actually even had the, the Seahawks defense in here. So this also little mini stack almost worked well for me. It just could not have DK take the top off. You know, he had he had three catches, 47 yards, and a touchdown. He just didn't have that gouging, explosive play to really send me over the top. But it's just it's just sitting there boiling like, you know, like a, like a cap on a boiling, you know, teapot, man. Or a, what am I trying to say? Kettle, boiling kettle. That was DK all day. He couldn't think of the word kettle, and he could not get just that one fu big yardage, you know, touchdown rip play. So, oh, I felt so close all day, though. I really did. Um, again, this lineup was anchored down by Likely's .9 points. Yuck. Seahawks defense also disgusting. Gave up thirty points. Only gave me one point back. Brutal. And uh, Joe Mixon again. The the two usual suspects and all my failures this week are going to be Joe Mixon at eight point eight points and likely at, at 0.9 points. That, that was the main 
tanker. Oh, yeah, and Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think the Ravens are going to be an absolute fantasy nightmare this season with their stable of B-plus receivers, who's playing tight end, and do they even get in the game, likely? Um, or, you know, and I, do, I don't understand. It's very scary that 25 points were scored by Baltimore and Lamar Jackson's got seven and a half. Yikes. He's two years ago, he earned me enough respect. He's going to stay in my player pool for a while. But, I mean, a couple more weeks of this, and I'll be thinking, you know, I'll be thinking otherwise. But, yeah, crap game by him. He doesn't look comfortable passing. Every reception looks like a mini prayer. Does not evoke a lot of confidence passing just watching him today. Keeping it moving, these lineups get worse. Next lineup I had was the base build was a, a Geno Smith, uh, DK Metcalf. I wanted that combo build in here, and then I ran it back with Higby. Higby, also a mega late letdown today. They were saying he was ripe for 11 targets, and then those all went to Puka Nakua. So, you know, Higby, kind of a gut punch. George Pickens, I had him running it back on McCaffrey in this lineup. And George Pickens kind of is what we thought he was. He, the guy just looks glued to his defender at all times like he's in a buddy system. I mean, I don't think he's – maybe he's just not allowed to go anywhere on the football field without his buddy. He is just crawling over dudes trying to get balls, but he cannot ever be in space. I need to watch it more. Is it a picket issue? Like is picket throwing terrible – Targets at at pick, uh, at pick ends, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe, and that's what we saw with De- Deontay Johnson's targets last year was he had the most targets and the least amount of catches out of those targets because of their you know the the quality of those targets. So might be maybe that's why George Pickens can't create separation because uh, you know his quarterback doesn't throw it where there is separation. But I don't know, man. It's it's not looking great. Um, but yeah, Christian McCaffrey, again, this lineup was close. I mean, this is actually one that was cooking for a minute and then just the stats stopped coming out of Geno. It just all stopped by like the end of the second quarter. It just seemed like the Seahawks just kind of blanked and didn't know how to do offense anymore. But this one was boiling for a minute. I mean, I did have McCaffrey and Bajon Robinson going, giving me 24 and 17 points there. So I had high hopes. Mike Williams ended up getting hurt at one point. I had him. Oh, should have mentioned that I had, uh, in this lineup. I had Mike Williams and Raheem Mostert as like another little mini game stack. And again, just that one big pass away from that making sense. I mean, this whole this whole slate was me, even though it wasn't really shaping up to be a, a good DFS slate for good DFS players and how our outcomes are geared to, you know, come out. There's just some weeks where the fish are just going to have their day, right? Uh, but this lineup I thought was built super well, and it was just on the cusp all day, all day, and uh, just didn't deliver. Just not getting any favors. I mean, just getting exactly what I paid for. No bonus, you know, no encore for me today in anything. So that's how it is sometimes. Uh, continuing on, this is my, this is my fifth lineup. Uh, I had a Jalen Hurts, and I just wanted, you know, I had to get a Jalen Hurts lineup out. And I know a lot of people today were telling me how they were struggling with a Jalen Hurts build. I will tell you, I spent two hours on this build and it was for nothing. I mean, <laughs> Jalen Hurts, uh, one of his lowest fantasy out points uh, I can remember since he's been labeled good, right? So 12 and a half points, just bombs. I mean, the, look at that from the quarterback. It's probably over already just by looking at that in the lineup. But he was paired up with A.J. Brown, who also came in under value. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, I didn't have much correlation in this lineup. This was kind of, after struggling with this build for so long, I was just kind of 
shoehorning every piece in that I needed some touches on. So, like, I had Devontae Adams in this lineup just by himself, uh, no correlation. And, you know, he came in under value. Uh, Rashad White still staring at me in this lineup as well. Just totally tanked me, killed me. Uh, he, he may not make my player pool next week, Rashad White. He just looks like a, a below-average backup in there in a starter's role. He just doesn't fall forward. He has that uh, the Pacheco disease. Yeah, this, this was kind of a hodgepodge of players. Unfortunately, you know, one of my better picks of the day was Calvin Ridley, who somehow just snuck into my lineups as I kept building. He had a pretty low price, which won't be the case next week. But, yeah, unfortunately, his good score was wasted in this lineup while he's standing next to, you know, .9 points, Isaiah Likely, and – Disaster Dion Jackson with his 1.3 and two, two fumbles lost in the game. That's Dion Jackson telling you as a DFS player, stop playing me for the love of God. It doesn't matter what my price is or if I'm the only running back in Indianapolis, stop playing me. This was Dion Jackson waving the flag to you saying, I ain't it. I ain't it. Okay. Kareem Hunt will be signed there or somebody, Lenny Fournette, somebody is just going to be signed to the Colts. Purely to hold on to the football, not even to make them better. Uh, that'll happen this week for sure. <laughs> but yeah, this lineup, I mean, this lineup failed. It just had a bunch of uh, holes in it, duds, absolute duds, people not making their their value at all. Next week, though, I'd run it back. I'd run. I'd still run Hurts back, Jones back, Devontae still a slate breaker. It's one of those weeks where he just he's covered by Patrick Sertan. He's in a new system. Um you know, that's why you have Jacoby Myers, who hasn't been relevant for fantasy his whole career. He was getting flooded with those targets today, I think mainly because Jimmy Garoppolo has zero confidence and just throwing it up to a Devontae with Patrick Sertan um, all over him. So um, kind of would like to see more of that trust because I think Devontae's always better when he has that quarterback who just feeds him and trusts him. De- Devontae still got his nine targets today. It just, it just wasn't the, the quality or types of targets that led to – you know, that one breakout big yards play and that one touchdown. I mean, it just, it just didn't happen today. So, let's see. All right, that was number five. All right, number six here, big stinker. Big stinker. Big black eye of the day that I don't think is going to matter at all by week eight, week ten. But <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Joey Cool, I think they were all frozen. I think the Bengals offense just watching it today. Uh, I think that train's going to get back on the tracks, but for right now, the coals that run that train are ice cold. I mean, there ain't there was zero, zero life uh, in the Bengals today at all. I mean, three points scored by the team. So, yeah, my, my worst line was my my uh, Bengals stack base here where I ran Burrow, Mixon, and Chase. And then I even paid, to me, I even paid up at tight end for Njoku, and you pay for it because these tight ends are just not in the game plan. Like, the media tells you they are. Here's Njoku, two catches, 3.4 points. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Um, the whole lineup sucks. I mean, let's see. I had the Bengals stack. There's Ridley again being wasted. You know, I think I had Ridley in two or three lines. He was completely in, in wasted dud lineups in most of these. Uh, so, yeah, the Bengals stack. Aaron Jones, Jaden Reed in there again at 5,000. He, you know, he doesn't even – he doesn't hit value either. Um, and then Kenneth Walker – which obviously has a Zach Charbonnet problem. I mean, Kenneth Walker, there's a lot of running backs today, and and I'll get to this uh, later in the show, but there's a lot of running backs that show that they got some problems when it comes to usage and opportunity this season, and Kenneth Walker is definitely one of those. So only 12 carries. Did he get a catch? Okay, he had four catches that went uh, for three yards. So, 
not looking good. So, yeah, I mean that that's kind of the lineup review. A uh, lot of lot of stacks that just completely dudded out, or the two stacks I did have, they were just that one flashy play, that one roar of the crowd away from me being jumping up and down and being right, you know. So overall, though, I'm not going to change too many things. Like I would, I'm running a, a burrow stack just like that, or or some variation of that. Almost all season, the Herbert stuff, even as things was weren't going well for me, still almost had me there just naturally. So, uh, yeah, but but it's always good. You got to go back through your lineups. You got to see what won the week, what type of lineup builds won the week. To me, it was a very unpopular Colt stack mixed with some Dolphin players, or it was you know a Tua Tyreek uh, lone stack uh, you know mixed up with a lot of good single plays that people would enter. That's kind of what won this week, and you're gonna have to learn throughout the DFS season to let these weeks come and go without being overreacting, without getting super frustrated to yourself. Sometimes the crap just hits and all the experts, all the smart people, they just have to wait their turn like everybody else. If you happen to notice, if you are on Twitter where most of DFS people reside, you will notice it was just very quiet throughout the entire slate. Not a lot of people championing you know, any sort of results. And that's because we just had the random occurrence type of a week. Once these offenses get humming, once these field goals start turning into more touchdowns, those types of points are going to filter to the players that these teams want to be successful through their system. So player pool members, stick tight, stick to the process, keep getting better at the process, and the fish will be looking up at us most of the season. And that ends week one main slate. It was a lot to take, guys. Ultimately, again, I'll keep saying it. You need to just stay still in the face of chaos and madness because that's all it was this week was just chaos. Nothing made sense. It was essentially like trying to pick nine correct lottery numbers. So let everything settle down, and we will be there at the end. I'm already excited for week two. Just to kind of explain how my process works more throughout the week, From the end of the main slate until about Thursday morning, I don't do anything other than absorb information and kind of relax and decompress. It is a long season, and if you are plugged in to fantasy football seven days a week, you are going to be burnt out quick. Once you're burnt out but you're not willing to say you're giving up, that's when guys really start pressing and losing a lot of money, making a lot of mistakes. And creating those stories that they tell people later is why they'll never play DFS again. So pace yourself over the next few days. Go outside, touch some grass, go over to this, you know, to your significant other and say, hey, what, what do you need around the house? Hey, is there something we can do? Hey, do you want to go do something? Because you definitely burned most of this weekend for yourself and for football uh, than you were, you know, kind of being around. More than likely, you know, it's always it's always good to err on the side of of too much. That's how I've always lived my life. So. Anywho, thanks again for hanging in here, guys. If you haven't already, make sure you're following us on Twitter at PlayerPoolPod. You're going to catch a lot of my real-time updates, a lot of my reactions to the slate in real time. But also, as late breaking news keeps hitting us, I will tweet out my my pivots, my you know everything I'm seeing, all my strategy, all the new realizations I have. I'll be pretty vocal about that. I'm not trying to hide anything uh, behind the curtain here. Otherwise... If you're not following us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Same thing, at Player Pool Pod. We got a Facebook page. If you can find it, it's called The Player Pool. 
Make sure you're liking and subscribing to the podcast. That gets us into more people's hands. It just gets the pod out there, and it, it just means a lot to me. You guys mean a lot to me. We'll hit the next week hard. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Player Pool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Player Pool Pod.